0: Welcome to the Institute of World Politics podcast. IWP is a graduate school of national security and international affairs. To learn more, please visit www.iwp.edu.
1: Thank you for joining us today. My
2: my name is Anne Bradley, and I'm a professor of economics here at the Institute for World Politics. Uh, And it is my honor today to introduce Dr. Paul Kangor, who is also a colleague of mine at Grove City College. And just a little bit about Uh, What we're doing here today, uh, this lecture at the Institute of World Politics, for those of you who are new, IWP is a graduate school of national security and international affairs. We have five master's degree programs, 18 certificates of study, and a new doctoral program. If you are interested in learning more about us, please feel free to speak to one of our staff at the conclusion of the event. We'd be happy to to talk to you uh, about that. And now I'd like to introduce Dr. Paul Kangor, who is a professor of political science at Grove City College, a four-year private Christian liberal arts college located in Grove City, Pennsylvania. He is executive director of the Center for Vision and Values, a Grove City College think tank and policy center. He is also a visiting fellow at the Hoover Institution on War, Revolution, and Peace at Stanford University. He has been quoted or published in most major publications from across the ideological spectrum. Kangar has authored several bestsellers, including The Communist, Frank Marshall Davis, The Untold Story of Barack Obama's Mentor, Dukes, How America's Adversaries Have Manipulated Progressives for a Century, and The Crusader, Ronald Reagan and the Fall of Communism. Additionally, he is a frequent, frequent contributor to television and radio programs, as well as a frequent public speaker around the country. Kangor received his doctorate from the University of Pittsburgh's Graduate School of Public and International Affairs and his master's degree from American University School of International Service. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Kangor.
0: Thank you, Ann. Appreciate that very much. You guys are really lucky to have Ann Bradley here. You, you really are. and. Uh, we're lucky to have our Grove City College as well. I'm gonna pull this mic off because I'm gonna walk around here a little bit and I'm using PowerPoint because I thought it'd be good to, for you to be able to actually see some of the quotes and some of the information that I'm, that I'm gonna share with you today. But, but, but first, before starting, I'd also like to thank John Lynchowski, who is the president of, of this great place I recommend my students here all the time, and as proof of that, I've got at least one intern here right now, Lindsey, where are you? Put your hand up, okay, there, there she is, there's Lindsey. Allison Bimber, who was one of my student assistants, and she now, now works here full time. She arranged this, she put this together, and the first time that I was here, I think it was in the very back room, and I was here to meet with Herb Romerstein, and Herb's wife, Pat and daughter are here today. So I'm honored by their presence. I did not expect that. And when, in fact, when I went to call you yesterday, Allison, and your name at the bottom of the thing is Institute of World Politics, address, phone number, I clicked the phone number and my uh, ID thing on my phone popped up and said Herb Romerstein. Because that's apparently the, the number that I still had for her, as well as his home number and so forth. So it's, it, it's great to be here. Thank you, thank you for inviting me. Great place. So my talk here, a Politically Incorrect Guide to Communism. And I've got about, I think, 30 slides, something like that. And it's a shameless capitalist promotion there for my books, if you don't mind, comrades, right? So, but, but this is uh, where some of the information in these books uh, is sourced in these different books, completely Correct Guide to Communism, Take Down Dupes, which I dedicated to Herb. I dedicated to Herb and also to Arnold Bechman who passed away a few years ago. And the book, The Communist, which is based on Frank Marshall Davis, who was Barack Obama's mentor. Okay, so to start off here, what Marx and Engels actually wanted, one of the things that drives me crazy, I, I get, I get invited all around the country by different student groups and universities to give talks with titles like Why Communism is Bad, right? As if, as if that's something that needs to be said, right? So, but I, I, get, I get emails from students at different universities, college Republican groups, saying our econ or poli-sci professor literally has a bust of Karl Marx in his office. Could you please come give a talk on why communism is bad? Because we don't we don't hear that here. And one of the things that, that, that I often get when I, when I go to those places and I speak, first of all, the professors never show up. They're never actually there. So you might get anywhere from 20 to 200 students. And I'll often get a student who comes up to me and says, The Communist Manifesto is a pretty good book if you just read it, right? And then I, I say, oh really, have you read it? I will say, well, you know, I, skipped around a little bit, read it a little bit here and there, you know right away that they haven't read it, because anyone who reads this book is not going to come away thinking, well, that was a pretty good book. It begins with this, opening words, a specter is haunting Europe, the specter of communism. Pretty good choice of words there, ironically. And they say that the theory of the communists may be summed up in the single sentence, Abolition of private property. Abolition of private property. I mean, that right there, you got it? The entire theory of the communists may be summed up in a single sentence, abolition of private property. And just when you think that, well, maybe they don't really mean like abolition of private property. You are horrified and are intending to do away with private property? Precisely so. For that is just what we intend. So it's not like they say, well, you got to understand. We don't really mean that we want to do away with private property, right? Uh, no, they double down on it, and they double down on it several times. And you think of particularly millennials today who are—I'll get to this—who are saying very positive things about communism and about socialism. The last thing—there you go. Okay. Uh, the the last thing that they're going to want to do is give up any form of their private property whatsoever. All right. I mean, the West is materialistic, consumeristic. And the idea that you have a bunch of young people stumping for something that would do away with any of their private property, just just again shows how much they don't actually know about the ideology. So what they wanted. Marx said that communism represents the most radical rupture in traditional relations. It's quite a statement. He said that his views on property stood contrary to, quote, the social and political order of things. That's why this is a totalitarian ideology, which is about a true, literal, fundamental transformation of human nature. And they knew that it was. They understood that, right? I mean, they got that. They knew it. They didn't think they were just tinkering around on the corners and the edges. with I mean, they knew that this was a really radical thing that they were pursuing. Communism seeks to, quote, abolish the present state of things. It's a very good line, which applies to, frankly, a lot of the progressive movement. Where all that you really know about a lot of the secular, in particular, progressive movement is that they're always progressing onto something else. They're breaking away from the things of the past, from moral absolutes. They're, They're taking a radical rupture from traditional relations, And all they really know is that they're changing, they're progressing, they're evolving. So they might have a position on something 20 years ago, and I'll give a really obvious cultural example, the entirety of the Democratic Party and liberal movement supporting the Defense of Marriage Act, defining marriages between one man and one woman in 1995, and then 20 years later supporting Obergefell, which redefines marriage. And so in 20 years, they completely reversed themselves. So if you ask them, where would you stand in 2035 on marriage? The best answer would be, we don't know. We'll tell you when we get there. Because all that they really know is that they're changing. They're always changing. The close of the manifesto. Communists everywhere support, this is an amazing statement, isn't it? Every revolutionary movement against the existing social and political order of things. That's very telling. Go to People's World, which is the flagship publication of Communist Party USA. Go to the website of Communist Party USA, cpusa.org, and you see all the time the communists there that are reaching out, casting wide, for a wider net of more and more v- different victim groups and ideas to try to get more and more people to their agenda. Support every revolutionary movement that they can latch on that's against the present order of things. The communists disdain to conceal their views and aims. This is right at the very end of the manifesto. They openly declare that their ends can be attained only by what? By flowers, daisies in their hair, singing kumbaya, right? They openly declare that their ends can be attained only by the forcible overthrow of all existing social conditions. That is one hell of a radical ideology. Marx called for, and this is a letter from 1843, the ruthless criticism of all that exists. This is a really radical idea, a really radical ideology, these aren't small steps. Marx and Engels' 10-point plan, I hear this all the time. Well, you know, they were kind of vague. They didn't really say what they wanted. You know, they were talking about sharing, redistribu- redistributing wealth, some collectivist ideas. You know. Marx was pretty ambiguous. In some degree, he was ambiguous, but also in different spots, Marx and Engels were very, very specific. And there's actually a 10-point plan in the Communist Manifesto. Point one, abolition of property, In land, an application of all rents of land to public purposes. So, again, that abolition of property thingy. Two, a heavy progressive or graduated income tax. That's kind of interesting. That's 1848. When did we get our permanent progressive graduated income tax? Anyone know? 1913. Right? They had to amend the Constitution, correct? Which amendment? Someone said Sixteenth Amendment. I remember I was at the Reagan Library reading through old Reagan speeches from the nineteen fifties, and he said our progressive income tax is straight out of the Communist Manifesto. And I thought, oh, that's an exaggeration, isn't it? I mean, that's got to be kind of crazy, red baiting, anti-communist stuff by Reagan. And yeah, after eight years of graduate school and undergrad, I've never actually read the Communist Manifesto. And then when I had to teach it, and I actually had to read it for a change, I said look at that, any progressive and graduating income tax, Reagan had that one right. 1848, that's what, almost 70 years before we got ours. Three, abolition of all right of inheritance. I bet that would be real popular with uh, college kiddies that are advocating for communism, right? Go up and tell them that they're not allowed to have their inheritance. It's going to go to Uncle Sam, her big sis, who will then redistribute it to the masses. Equally, Right? You don't get any of it. But they love that. I'm obviously not including all ten. Five, centralization of credit in the hands of the state. It's a terrible idea. By means of a nationalized bank with state capital and an exclusive monopoly. My Austrian economics, free market people here, you know, it's nice. You just love that, wouldn't you? Six of this. is. Six. Centralization of means of communication and transport in the hands of the state. That is huge. I mean, all communication and transportation, centralizing <laughs> and control of the state, like railroads, trucking, right, boats, airplanes, aircraft, all forms of different communication. I, I, I mean, Talk about a radical rupture in traditional relations. Oh, it's really a pretty good book if you just read it. Nine, this is my favorite, gradual abolition of all the distinctions between town and country – you didn't know this was in here, did you? – by a more equitable distribution of the population over the country. These guys were such totalitarians that they wanted to redistribute people. Not just people's property, but people. Look at the beginning of the killing fields about Cambodia, and everybody's being evacuated out of the capital and somebody once told me oh that's not communism i wouldn't support that well they're sending people out into the countryside for a more equitable distribution of the population i mean you're going to move people like that not just the property people ten free education for all children in public schools which again shows what economic ignoramuses they were because Education is never free, right? There's not. I know we're in Washington, but yeah, are there money trees out here that grow up and down? You guys just walk down from the White House and they shake them. People come by in baskets and pick it all up and say, here's the free money for the free education, so we're going to pay for all the education. Free education for all children in public schools. Now, Marx and Engels, they said right there among these 10, of course, in the beginning, this cannot be affected except by means of what? by singing kumbaya and handing around flowers and bouquets, you know, by despotic inroads, as in despotism, which means tyranny. Right? They knew that. I mean, my six-year-old daughter, Gianna, could tell you they'd have to start killing people in order to do this. They knew that. they take away your guns and round you up, send you out. To, you have to. People aren't going to lay down for this. War on home education, religious education, this is right out of the manifesto. Do you charge us with wanting to stop the exploitation of children by their parents? To this crime? No, 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 no. We don't mean that. We don't mean that. no 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 no. To this crime, we plead guilty. But you will say we destroy the most hallowed of relations when we replace home education by social. It's one of the first things that that the Bolsheviks did. They took, they uh, banned home education. They took all religious education from the Russian Orthodox Church and provided free education for all children in public schools. They were going by the book. Marx blasted the disgusting bourgeois claptrap about the family edu- and education and the hallowed correlation of parent and child. Right, The child would be the child of the state, not the parent, the state. Marx and Engels on race. Carnegie Mellon University, down the street from me, about an hour away in uh, Pittsburgh, they're celebrating Marx at 200 this year, the 200th anniversary of Karl Marx, which the director of the Dietrich School, William Shina, says is to celebrate the great man. And they have about a dozen different lectures that are being put on. None of them are going to talk about anything like this, it's a celebration of Marx. Marx flung the N-word effortlessly. In his writing, it's littered with epithets like greasy Jew, little kike. Sorry about these words. I probably shouldn't even repeat some of them. You could, again, you can read it for yourself. Marx the Ingalls on Ferdinand LaSalle, July 30, 1862, private letter. It is now perfectly clear to me that as the shape of his head and the growth of his hair indicates, he is descended from the Negroes. And then he goes on here to give a very evolutionary statement about the union of Jew and German on a Negro base and an extraordinary hybrid. I won't read all very offensive stuff. I guarantee you they're not talking about that. This is ironic, too. Our modern liberal universities are obsessed with race. They're tearing down statues of Confederate generals. And yet they get away with, with with. celebrating Marx and Engels, and they don't mention any of this stuff. How does that happen? Right? For any founding father, I mean, you know, they crawl under every rock to find a letter like this, or to find out if he owned a slave. And if so, he's toast. And these guys have statements like this throughout their writings. Marx's son-in-law, Paul Lafargue, was partly Cuban. So because of that, Marx referred to him as Negrillo, or the gorilla, as he called it. By the way, his son-in-law committed suicide in the suicide path along with Marx's daughter. One of two uh, two of Marx's daughters committed suicide. Ingalls on Marx's son-in-law, and here Ingalls is deducing the same thing, that Paul possessed one-eighth or one-twelfth, you can read the rest of the line there, and he was asked to, this poor guy had applied for, he was a political candidate for a council in a Paris district that contained a zoo. And he asked for a letter of recommendation from Ingalls. And you could see what Ingalls said in recommending him, that uh, given that the zoo is in that district, he'd be a perfect person to be in control of it. Right? You could see what it says. And very racist, and they get away with all of Marx, on the Jewish question, thats he actually wrote that. Marx was ethnically Jewish, too. What is the worldly cult of the Jew? Haggling. What is the worldly God? Money. Money is the jealous God of Israel before whom no other God may exist. The bill of exchange is the actual God of the Jew. This is some of the most anti-Semitic stuff you can see from anybody. The Jews said Marx had become impossible. The emancipation of the Jews in the final analysis is the emancipation of mankind from Judaism. Wow. Find one statement like that in the writings of Donald Trump. Right? Just he one. And he's done. They a religion, of course. Marx called it the opiate of the masses. Marx said communism begins where atheism begins. Lenin: all worship of a divinity is a necrophilia. There is nothing more abominable than religion. The uh, The communist revolution, they wrote in the manifesto, is the most radical rupture with traditional relations and traditional ideas again, of which religion is certainly part of that. War in the family. Marx wrote a letter to Engels saying, blessed is he who has no family of a curious take on the Beatitudes. There, I think, just <laughs> that one Jesus did in the Sermon on the Mount. Abolition of the family, they wrote in the Communist Manifesto! Exclamation mark. Even the most radical flare-up of this infamous proposal of the communists. So in 1848, the communist notion of the abolition of the family was already an infamous proposal of the communists. That's how well it was known that the communists were against the family. Marx. it is not possible to speak of the family. All right, so here we go. The Bolsheviks, they take the blueprint with this. They put it in place. We got, uh, who do we have there? Stalin, Lenin, and Trotsky. So they take over with a coup October, November 1917. Russian Civil War follows 1918 to 1921. According to historian W. Bruce Lincoln, about 7 million Russian men, women, and children died In the Civil War, between the Bolsheviks and the Mensheviks, 7 million. By the way, that's following World War I, where Russia had lost more people than any other country. And, though they were on the right side, the winning side, they withdrew because the Bolsheviks took them out. So they didn't get any of the fruits of victory in World War I. So they lost the most people in World War I. Didn't even end up on the winning side. Instead, they had these guys. Then they ended up with a civil war from 1918 to 21 that killed 7 million people. Just massive bloodletting. Communism instantly went global. They tried to go global, because that was the point of this all along. Marx had said in 1850, to the Communist League, it is our interest and task to make the revolution permanent, not only in one country, but all the leading countries of the world. Which is why our government, when people became sworn members of Communist Party USA and swore loyalty oath to the Stalin Soviet Union, cared. Why guys like her right, worked for groups, Congress testified, saying this is why this is a threat. Because they don't want this in just one country. to be bad enough that they were just doing it in Russia. They want this all over the world. The goal is a, is a worldwide revolution. Lenin, our victory will be a lasting victory only when our undertaking will conquer the whole world. Because we had launched it exclusively counting on world revolutions. When Reagan was reading quotes like uh, the nineteen eighties, I can show you in dupes, New York Times and others were attacking him. Oh, Lenin didn't really say this stuff. Didn't really say this? We got right here the Soviet propaganda department saying that he never actually said this stuff. Guys like Herb and others dug this stuff out, pulled out shows. Yeah, Lenin said it. Here it is. Lenin, March nineteen nineteen, Party Congress. This was the launch of the commentary. More in that minute. We live not only in a state but a system of states, and the existence of the Soviet Republic side by side with the imperialist states is what? Is okay, we're agreeable people, we're nice people, we'll see kumbaya, hold hands. No, it is unthinkable. In the end, either one or the other will, again that word, conquer. And before the result, a series of what does it say? Horrible conflicts between the Soviet Republic and the bourgeois states is unavoidable. Horrible conflicts, unavoidable, conquer the whole world, exclusively counting on World Revolution. This is a dangerous idea. The Soviet Comintern created that March 1919, Trotsky called it the General Staff of the World Revolution, called for a full-fledged political project, World Socialist Revolution, they immediately started agitating revolts, 1918, 1919, 1920, Bavaria, Poland, Hungary, a whole bunch of different countries. They're fighting the Russian Civil War. You think they have their hands full, their plates kind of full? They waste no time immediately trying to get communism in other countries because, because that's the objective. The objective is not Russia. I mean, the objective is world communism. Each nation would have a single communist party that would report to the turn. In America, we got ours in September 1919 in Chicago. You go to the Comintern Archives and Communist Party USA, the Library of Congress, it's really easy to go there. None of the academics are even looking at this stuff. They do not actually do this primary research. But the very first letter in the file is from 1219 Blue Island Avenue, Chicago, and they're reporting to the Comintern. We did it, we did it, we did it. We established the American Communist Party. Grigory Zinoviev who would be the first head of the Comintern, said the world civil war is now the order of the day because the Communist International had done what? Declared war on the entire bourgeois world. By the way, I have a couple chapters on this in dupes. This is why guys like Woodrow Wilson, the progressives progressive, said, I might be a progressive and a leftist, but these guys are barbarians. These guys are tyrants. These guys are madmen. I mean, you do not support these guys. I mean, this is, this is way overboard. Classical Marxism versus cultural Marxism. A couple sweethearts there. Uh, Wilhelm Wright up top, Herbert Marcuse at the bottom. This was the group. They actually decided to take the worst ideas of the 19th century, Marxism, and fuse them with the worst philosopher of the early 20th century, Freudianism. And they created a, a, a Freudian Marxism that would come to represent what we now call cultural Marxism. Through the Frankfurt School in Berlin, 1920s and 1930s. These guys, they weren't interested in a class-based economic revolution, but for them it was about culture, education, and sex. What Ralph de Toledano called an unrestrained miasma of sex. Through movie theaters, through Hollywood, through media, through education, they were going to take down the West through culture rather than through economics. And by the way, I would argue that this is what's been most effective because they came to the conclusion that most people economically don't want their private property taken away. You know, They don't want 90% tax rates. They want to be able to hand their inheritance on to their kids. So if you really want to take down the West, this is the way to do it. And for these guys, it's a constant different search for a new victim group that would be the new bourgeoisie. Or the new the new proletariat. If you go to Communist Party USA's website, go to People's World, they're always, you see all the time, they're really big on the LGBTQ movement right now. Really, really big on them. I should mention, Wilhelm Wright, anyone know the uh, the, the name of his most famous book? The Sexual Revolution. He coined the term, the Sexual Revolution. He was considered so radical and so left that the Bolsheviks didn't like him. So the Bolsheviks are a bunch of reactionaries, especially because they were anti-gay. He used the word gay, of course, and homosexual. Uh, so he coined the term the sexual revolution. And the 1960s gurus, uh, 1960s New Left, their guru became Herbert Marcuse. He was read by Weather Underground, SDS, Mark Rudd, Bill Ayers, Bernardine Doran, Angela Davis, all of them. So, the Frankfurt School began in 1923 as the Institute for Social Research, University of Frankfurt. Because of Hitler's madness, most of the guys in the Frankfurt School were Jewish. So, they had to escape. They had to escape Germany. They had to find a new university. And who in the world would take a bunch of fugitive freaks of Freudian Marxism? Columbia University. So, they came to New York, they came to the United States and they would set up shop here. John Dewey, and they could work through John Dewey's education, public education. John Dewey is honorary president for life of the National Education Association.
1: The NEA could
0: exist till the year 3518, I guess, and John Dewey will still be honorary president for life. Walk into the building and genuflect before the Dewey statue. All right, so the Communist Party USA. So coming to America, so established in 1919, September 1919 in Chicago, became Communist Party USA. Look at the loyalty oath that they swore in the 1930s. And remember, this is why our Congress was interested in are you now or have you ever been a member of the Communist Party? Not because they're just a bunch of haters of good-loving liberal progressives, but because they swore this oath. I pledge myself to rally the masses to defend the United States of America, to defend the Soviet Union. I pledge myself to remain at all times a vigilant and firm defender of the Leninist line of the party, the only line that ensures the triumph of Soviet power in the United States. By the way, this is why a lot of American communists, small c, didn't go so far as to join Communist Party USA because they didn't actually want to pledge themselves to Stalin's Soviet Union, right? So some of them would follow Trotsky, they would be small c-communist in ideology. As John Dewey put it, communism spelt with a lowercase c, as he put it. But the ones who joined CPUSA were hardcore on fire for Stalin's Soviet Union. That was the the pledge in the 1930s. CPUSA head William Z. Foster, advocated what he called a Soviet American Republic, as part of a World Soviet Union. His 1932 book was called Toward Soviet America. Lays it all out. He was also one of the initial founding board members of the ACLU, which was run by Roger Baldwin. Roger Baldwin founded the ACLU. His 1929 book was called Liberty Under the U.S. Constitution, Bill of Rights, Liberty Under the... Soviets. Lincoln Steffens. I am a patriot for Russia. The future is there. Russia will win out and save the world. Langston Hughes. How many of you guys are reading Langston Hughes now? He's required reading pretty much in the public schools. Strictly shown as a civil rights icon. Put one more S in the USA to make it Soviet. The USA, when we take control, will be the USSA. Tim Kaine quoted Langston Hughes the day that Hillary conceded to Trump after the election when he was, he didn't quote that, but, <laughs> but he quoted, quoted Langston Hughes. And here's her, who told me from the very beginning, you have to understand that Communist Party members were loyal Soviet patriots. And when you get that, you'll understand what the threat is. And Congress got it, because they actually read the stuff. All right, the Hollywood Ten. You guys might want to take a picture of that, especially if you're at your graduate school right now and your professor's saying, "Well, they were wonderful progressives. We'll show you a nice movie about Dalton Trumbo when we meet in the next class, and you can see how the fascists at HUAC attacked poor Dalton Trumbo. They were just good liberals. They testified in October 1947 when they got there, Congress had all their five-digit CPUSA numbers, one right after another, Every single member was a CPUSA member. And John Howard Lawson, when he got there, that's him, that's a picture of him. And they showed his uh, CPUSA member. He just started screaming, fascists, Nazis. Started comparing it to the Reichstag fire and crystal knot and all sorts of stuff. So marched out of there, stormed out of the place. He was busted. Some other American members there's Frank Marshall Davis, Barack Obama's mentor, all of the 1970s. How do we know that? Because Obama met mentions Frank dozens of times in Dreams from My Father, but only as Frank. Never as Frank Marshall Davis. Davis joined the Communist Party during World War II. When he got to Hawaii, their underground code word for the party was the church. They called it the church the CPUSA number 47544. He was called before the Senate to testify in December 1956 on his, quote, Soviet activities inside the United States, other unquote, and he pled the Fifth Amendment when he was asked the question, are you now or have you ever been a member? He was listed by the FBI and the Federal Government Security Index, which meant that if a war broke out between the United States and the Soviet Union, the guy who mentored Barack Obama throughout the 1970s could be placed under arrest. In the audio version of Dreams from My Father, which was released while Obama was president, every single mention of Frank is purged. I had three different student assistants listen to it after I did, just to make sure I had it right. I offered an op-ed on it to the Washington Post and New York Times. It was a waste of time, but just... Humor myself. I tried it anyway. None would publish it. But you go through it and you're reading <laughs> "Dreams from My Father," page after page, exactly the same, exactly the same. Every line, every line. Okay, here comes the stuff on Frank. Whoop, just skips right over it. Picks back up, continues reading, continues reading. Okay, here comes another Frank mention. Skips right over it. Unbelievable. Scandalous. Uh, some other American communists, Ethel and Julius Rosenberg. As I note out there, if you live in New York City, don't forget to honor Ethel Rosenberg Day of Justice, which was established by the New York City Council for September 28, 2015. And there is Lee Harvey Oswald holding copies of The Daily Worker and The Militant right next to the rifle that he used to place a bullet in the head of the President of the United States. Here's America's most famous uh, female Marxist, Angela Davis. She's a student of Herbert Marcuse. She ran on the Communist Party USA presidential ticket in 1976 and 1980. This is a good group. Who was at the head of that ticket running as president? He was the head of Communist Party USA forever, 1959 to 2000. Gus Hall. Who voted for Gus Hall to be president on one of these Anyone know? John Brennan, Barack Obama's CIA director. So with a choice between like, you know, Carter or Reagan, go to Gus Hall. Gus and Angela Davis. There's Angela meeting with Eric Honecker in the 1970s, who built the Berlin Wall. There she is meeting with Fidel Castro. And there she is, she was one of the honorary co-chairs of the Women's March in Washington, DC, January 2017. Where the sea of young women with these pink hats cheered and screamed and applauded as she talked about not Marx and Lenin and Engels or Trotsky, but about gay rights, immigration, right, the flora and the fauna and climate change. Just perfect. I mean, she's not going to go up there and say, "I was a student of Herbert Marcuse, and let me tell you about Marx and Lenin, comrades." No way. No, she's going to go up there and push the buttons that the crowd likes, and they have no idea who she is. By the way, oh, well, Ken Gore, what, probably like 150 honorary coaches, five of them. Go to their website. 5 She's listed She's the top. So what happens when you don't know what any of this stuff is? Here are some uh, famous 60s comrades, that is uh, <laughs> Bill Ayers and Bernardine Dord and Mark Rudd. They were founders of the Weather Underground. They were before that leaders in SDS, Mark Rudd and Tom Hayden. Rudd shut down Columbia in 1968. They were in the 1970s uh, FBI fugitives for domestic terrorism. Ayers would say famously, Guilty as sin, free as a bird. Isn't America a great country? Didn't do any jail time whatsoever for that. They all reemerged in 2008, creating a group called Progressives for Obama progressives for Obama. Jane Fonda, Tom Hayden, Michael Klonsky, a bunch of communist progressives for Obama. Rudd said, uh, Che was our hero, who he called our revolutionary martyr and saint for the coming funeral of the United States of America. They are all now in education. And uh, Bill Ayers, from University of Chicago, uh, no, University of Illinois, Education department, University of Illinois Chicago. And he's now writing books published through Columbia Teachers College on teaching social justice. And Bernadine Dorn is with the Northwestern University, where she is a child care advocate. And if you know of about her and the Four Finger Salutes, and what happened with the weather undergrad, I could talk about that later. And it's really probably too much. It's awful. Meet Che and Fidel, two vicious commie thugs who wanted to blow up the world. There they are. I think they're, Are they lighting a bomb or a cigar there? I'm really not sure. They're probably lighting a candle, right? And there is uh, it's a couple of notes on them. I'm watching the clock. I'm taking too long. Fidel and Che, they actually um, wanted to launch the nukes in October 1962. And didn't they know that this would lead to nuclear Armageddon? they had launched nuclear missiles from Cuba against the United States, which would return with new Cuba, and then the Soviets would new us, the Soviets, and then Western Europe. Didn't they know that? Yeah, they did, which is why they wanted to launch them. And the Soviets, Nikita Khrushchev, they called it a, like a literal late-night, midnight meeting on a Sunday in Moscow, and, and Khrushchev was told, these people actually want to launch the nukes. And Khrushchev said, get them out, get them out, get them out immediately. Take the missiles out now. Take them out now. One of the Soviet officials said to uh, said to Fidel, we see how you want to die beautifully. We don't think it's worth dying beautifully. But as they put it, Che wanted to pull the temple down on its head. They wanted to go up in a giant mushroom cloud. Uh, che, the great enemy of mankind, the United States of America. Che ran the Oversaw as many as 2,000 executions at La Cabana, the execution pit, ancient Spanish uh, fortress that was, that was on Cuba. He actually had a wall removed so he could look out the window when he couldn't be down there for the executions himself so he could watch the executions from up top. Described himself to his wife as bloodthirsty. Between 1959 and 99, About 100,000 Cubans, according to the Black Book of Communism, the Harvard University Press book, about 100,000 have attempted to swim from Cuba all the way to the United States. Swim or float. Depending on where you're leaving, that's about 70 to 100 miles. Cuba is a surreal... Look at satellite photos of Cuba, and you'll see an island without boats because people take the boats and leave. The fishing industry is completely controlled if not shut down. Talk to anybody who lives there, they don't eat fish, they eat chicken. It's an island that doesn't eat fish. People aren't allowed to fish. People aren't allowed to swim at the beaches. I talked to a, a girl last semester at my school who said that um, there is now some uh, swimming on the beach that's allowed. Because they're afraid that if you start to swim on the beach or if you, if you, if you fish, you'll jump in the water and start swimming 85 miles. That's how crazy it is. And compare that, about 100,000, probably 30 to 40,000 have drowned. Compare that to the number zero, which is the number of Americans, including Michael Moore and all the liberals who talk about how wonderful the healthcare and education is in Cuba. That's the number of Americans who've tried to swim to Cuba zero. Zero. All right. I gotta go a little faster. Black Book of Communism, the Harvard University Press book. Here is the Butchersville. I thought I'd put a picture of Lenin next to this. Mm. That's Lenin today. Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation, like uh, Harvard University Press, estimates about 100 million people killed by communist governments. Professor Martin Malia. Of uh, late, Professor Cal Berkeley called it the most colossal case of political carnage in history. That 100 million is a is a conservative figure, is it not? They list only 20 million for the USSR. Alexander Yakovlev, who was Gorbachev's chief reformer, said that quote Stalin alone annihilated 60 to 70 million, and he was given the job in the 1990s of counting the skulls, trying to come up with a number. China has the most, 65 million. Latest numbers on that, probably over 70 million, right? Vietnam, North Korea, 2 million, and counting, right? So it's probably closer to about 140 million, frankly. And as a source of comparison, Hitler's genocide uh, was about 10 million, about 6 million Jews then about 4 million others that we de- deemed misfits and undesirables. You've got to take the total people killed in World War I and World War II, combine them, two deadliest wars in history, and then double them to get close to the number of people killed by communist governments in the 20th century. Unbelievable. I mean, that should permanently doom forever any ideology. There should be no advocates of it anywhere teaching it. Just by that mere figure alone. Should kill it, right? Unintended. All right, any good news here, Dr. Ken or Dr. Death, right? They call me Dr. Death. I said, yeah, we win and they lose. The good news is in 1989, this was defeated. Soviet communis- communism was defeated by folks like this. John Paul II, Ronald Reagan, Thatcher, Yeltsin, and Gorbachev. I give Gorbachev a lot of credit for this. Václav Havel, Lech Wałęsa. I think Walesa is the only one still alive. Gorbachev, as well. We win, they lose. Or wait a second, did we? This is a West Point cadet at graduation with a with a Che Guevara T-shirt. Che, who called America the great enemy of mankind. A West Point cadet. West Point cadet.
1: I don't. I don't know.
0: Yeah, but he, his, uh, his family is actually near me, where my, where I live, and uh, I know someone who knows his father is very upset about this. He learned this at college, and, you know, you think that West Point would be a safe place to send your kids? Um, no, the professors there are, you know, by and large, the same professors that come from the same institutions at most places. I mean, you've got to be super careful about where you send your kids to college. Many youth are saying that they uh, they prefer socialism to capitalism. One in four Americans believe George W. Bush killed more people than Joe Stalin I'm sorry,
1: that. Somebody right? that
0: to me. incredible yeah. really amazing. 69 percent of millennials in 2015 said they would vote for a socialist for president and Bernie Sanders, a lifetime socialist, got 13 million votes. Donald Trump got a record for Republicans in a primary 14 million. Ernie, lifetime socialist, right behind him, $13 Cultural Marxism now dominates our universities under the name critical theory. Go to Occidental College, where Obama went as an undergrad. They have a department of critical theory and social justice. And it even says that they teach their cultural Marxism, intersectionality, all all that stuff. It's cultural. Last thing here, I hear this all the time, I'm not a communist or socialist, I'm a social democrat. Or I'm a democratic socialist. Uh, This, look, Lenin, Trotsky, and Stalin were part of the Russian social democratic labor party before in 1903, they met and split into the majority. And the minority, the majority called themselves what? The Bolsheviks. And the minority, the, the Mensheviks. Herbert Marcusa called himself a social democrat. Read Lenin on the State and Revolution. He writes all about democracy all the time. So it depends on what you what you mean by these actual words. But when and, and to be fair, if you talk to 10 different socialists and ask them for 10 different definitions, you might get 10 different definitions, right? That, that, have, that have little in common. Although, by and large, they, they, they typically say, that they believe in the common ownership of the means of production. That's kind of the standard definition of socialism. Right now, the DSA, the Democratic Socialists of America, are claiming that they have about 45,000 members. And in the current election, they've had a number of victories, including um, Alexandria Ocasio, Ocasio-Cortez. And in my neighborhood, south of us, in the Pittsburgh area, Summerlee and Sarah Inamorado beat uh, the Costa boys, who are like traditional Democrats, and they're both DSA, and they're going to win because Republicans not going to not going to beat them. So they they they're claiming a membership surge under Donald Trump, and I don't know. They're self-reporting that they have forty-five thousand members. I don't no way to verify it, but it wouldn't surprise me if it's true. Communist Party USA is also claiming a membership surge. And John Bactel, the head of that, said that they now have about 5,000 members. So the surge from what, like 4,700 to 5,000 or something like that? But, But DSA is increasingly a force to be reckoned with. They call themselves the leading socialist party group in the United States. People's world, go to people's world. They far more often describe themselves as progressive instead of communist. Democratic Socialists of America. All right, how to respond. Fight back with truth, and I say have some fun with it too. Let the dupes and useful idiots know that they're dupes and useful idiots. Do you see what those shirts say? They're not actual chase shirts. Communism killed 100 million people, and all I got was this crappy (laughs) T-shirt. So I want one of those. I want one of those. All right, good enough. I'll stop there. I'll take any questions that you have. Thank you.
1: Yes. yes, sir. Lieutenant uh, Command Commander uh, Mati Pawaha, uh, Polish Navy and uh, international student of the Institute. Uh, first, thanks a lot for the great uh, lecture. Uh, my question is: uh, I wonder, I wonder, uh, why, taking account the, the American American uh, presidential uh, administration and the governmental administration, strictly anchored to the a great uh, constitution uh, and the values which are practiced by the US uh, society and uh, nation. Uh, what is the reason that in your country yeah. uh, the truly uh, approach to the communism is uh, politically incorrect? That's my question.
0: It's amazing. I, I get I get emails. Phone calls, when I when I do talk shows and, and I do this subject, this happens all the time on um, one show I do, Relevant Radio, Drew Mariani, he'll have me on once or maybe every six months just to do communism for an hour. I do a show probably a couple times a month, but I'll, but I'll do just an hour of communism. Always starts the same way. First caller that calls in is always somebody like 20, 21 years old, talking about how communism is about redistribution of wealth, collectivism, is really it's a good thing. They're not a communist, they're a democratic, social, same stuff, predictable. And then, and then we'll typically take a break and then Drew will say the phone lines are lit up. I've got a Vietnam uh, boat person from California who's calling in. I got a Polish, somebody who lived in Poland, came here in 1989 calling in. Somebody from Romania from 1991. Uh, left, somebody from China, and these people call in in tears that they've come to this country to escape communism. And what they're really upset about is that they sent their child, because you think about the age of these folks, if you left Romania in 1992, and you were like you know, 20 years old, and you had a baby, a kid, right? That kid's in college now. So they sent them to what they consider the best universities in the world, and the best country in the world, and they assume that they're gonna learn anti-communism. They're gonna learn about America and the founding, and they learned just the opposite. And they are really upset about this. Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation, that's why they built that. As like a, a, you know, a communism, um, uh, not counterpart, is isn't the right word, but there's the Holocaust Museum, right? To, to honor the victims of Hitler's madness. And then, the, but we need a memorial to communism to note all of those victims as well, right? Yeah, Caroline works there. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, it's crazy. I, another example, I could give example after example. I was speaking in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, last semester in the spring semester, and I went back to the hotel and there was a girl at the front desk, really nice, and I was talking to her and, and um, she said, "So what are you here speaking about?" And I I always hate answering these questions, right? And I was like, "Well, I'm just you know, people sometimes push and push." And one time I was at a playground with with one of my kids and I'm holding a book and pushing the swing and one of the moms is like, "What are you reading?" And I said, oh, "Never mind." <laughs> no 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 come on, what are you reading? Oh. Marx and Satan, how nice. <laughs> 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 Me at the playground with my kid, right? But anyway, so the, this, this girl at the counter, she was, I told her, I said, well, I'm here to speak on, I'm just going to say, it. I said, on the evils of communism. And she said, oh, and she was from Kazakhstan. And, 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 she, and she said that she was going to the local university right in Grand Rapids, right, right down the street there. And, and she said, I think communism would probably work pretty well. It just hasn't really been tried right. And I was just ready to 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 just walk to the highest balcony and jump off. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, your parents survived the USSR, of all things, and and you believe it just hasn't been tried right. Tried right. It's just frustrating. But I am right. It's we're up against ninety nine percent of the universities. There may be twenty to thirty safe spaces, right, to send your kids. IWP, Grove City College, Hillsdale, Patrick Henry, Franciscan, right, there's not a lot. And some schools have kind of you know, pockets that are okay, that are safe. But vast majority of other colleges, $70,000 a year, you're going to send your kid to Carnegie Mellon University where they're celebrating marks all of 2018? It's nuts.
1: Anyway, I don't know if I
0: answered your question or not, but... Yes? Is there a line between socialism and communism? Or is it really the same yeah, I could have said a lot more of that. Thank you. But in strict Marxist theory, socialism is a transitionary stage or phase on the way to full communism. So from like feudalism to capitalism to socialism, eventually to full communism. So it's like a way station a temporary station on the way to full communism. So really, it's in that sense, it's a matter of degree. However, where this gets really um, muddy is that a lot of communists call themselves socialists, and, and vice versa. In fact, USSR, right, the second S in USSR, was socialist. Brezhnev in the 1970s, they were pursuing what they called real socialism. And if you read and Asvesti, and some of the other publications, they referred to themselves as socialists far more often than... And communist. And again, you go to People's World, CPUSA today, People's World very rarely uses the word communist. They usually word, use the word progressive as well. When, um, when I was doing the book Dupes, I, I had the, um, and I got this from Herb, I think, the Guide to Subversive Publications in the United States, 1961, and it's this big, massive document. Also, there's another that um, Stan Evans used a lot, 1943, it's called Appendix Nine, Three volume set, about 2,000 pages. If you go in the index of these, you'll see the most common word in the index is progressive. And a lot of that is because they would get, communists would call themselves progressives and come up with phrases like the uh, front groups like the Progressive Citizens of America that even Reagan spoke to. Reagan had been duped by this. And they would use that to attract wider liberals and progressives. Not really telling them in full that, well, we're closet communists running this organization. By the way, I'm writing a business for American Spectre. It might even be, it might even be up uh, today. I think i are going to post it this week. Do you guys know a case of progressives directly working with the Kremlin to meddle in a presidential election with their actual own candidate? You know that actually happened? Anyone know what year? 1948. The Progressive Party. They ran Henry A. Wallace. And, it, and the, the guys running the campaign were communists, working with the Kremlin. But they didn't call themselves the Communist Party. They already had one of those. They called themselves the Progressive Party. And so the idea there was to use the progressive label to go out and advance an actual communist agenda. And Bernie Sanders, somebody last year, well, 2016, asked him, Okay, socialists believe in common ownership of the means of production. How would you deal with that? In other words, like, what all would you want to nationalize? And that's a good question. You should ask this to people. Say, okay, you're a social democrat. You're a democratic socialist. All right, what tax rates do you want? Give me a percentage. 70%, 60%, 50%, on what income groups? How much of inheritance would you take? 50%? 75%? On what? On property? On people with income? People that leave money, $200,000? Ask them these questions. What all do you want the government to own? We know you want government to have health care. All right, okay, there's one. Communication? Transportation? What else? I mean, hold on. Uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez just did a, an interview with this, um, with the... Um, the new Firing Line girl, uh, Margaret Hoover, who tried to pin her down on some of these questions. And she either wasn't giving answers or <clears throat> hadn't really thought some of it through completely. Yeah. I'm a student. My grandparents were in in
1: the 1970s. Which country? Uh, China. China. China? Yeah. And uh, I want to... I uh, uh, white American education system and media and the think tanks, why don't they try more to raise awareness of the danger of communism among American general public. Why don't you yield a lecture this kind of lecture before, three or four years ago? All right. Because Chinese Communist Party, they have tried all
0: their best to promote and prevail Chinese Communist ideology the whole world. Yes Yeah, well I've been, I've been doing it for over 20 years. I can tell you that. I, and a lot of we saw this coming with the, right? some of the people in this room, with the end of the Cold War, we were banging a drum throughout the 1990s saying they're not teaching this stuff in the schools, they're not teaching this in the schools and, and K through 12, which is even odder because it's kind of a breakdown of history civics teachers in K through 12, I mean, I've got a bunch of former students teaching. i got a lot, lots of friends in the public schools. I mean, no one's ever done a survey, but I bet it's like 50-50 Democrats and Republicans, conservatives and liberals. But what do they use as their source material? They use textbooks written by college professors. And a lot of times in these books, I did a review of 20 of the most popular civics texts a few years ago for Wisconsin. And with a lot of them, it's not even what they say, it's what they don't say. It's the sins of omission. You'll never see anything that I said here in any of those books. So they have a bit, one of the, one of the books, had two pages on the, on the internment of the Japanese in World War II. Which was, and then the rest of the World War II stuff was like one page. By the way, there's no mention that FDR did it or of the executive order, or or anything like that. But but there was nothing on the gulag. They'll give numbers of World War II deaths, they'll give the figure of how many people Hitler killed, but they don't give any figures on what any other leader killed. Fidel Castro, they don't give any numbers on Castro, they don't say things like fishing is banned, that 100,000 people have tried to escape by swimming. None of that information is, is included. And that's the stuff that the teachers use that they then teach the students with. So, yeah. It's a tough situation. Alright, one more question. Go ahead. Uh, yes, Steve
1: Allen, Capital Research Center. We've actually got a oh, little great. cartoon and, and an article going back to Henry Wall, uh, to uh, the uh, Henry Wallace campaign in 1948 and the history of the Russian Amendment. Uh, my question is, uh, two quick questions, uh, I think. One is uh, you mentioned the comparison of the audio version of Dreams of My Father right. with the print version. Uh, I remember a bunch of us trying to track down the first edition of the print version, and I didn't know if anybody had ever done that. To your knowledge, actually found that so that we can compare the first and second editions, the first being written before he launched his uh,
0: campaign. Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. I'm yeah. sure I'm sure you can easily get it though. It, uh, we probably tried. from a library.
1: They were scooped up everywhere we looked. Uh, one was offered to us for five thousand. Dollars, which we didn't have. Wow. So, uh, anyway, and then the other question uh, regarding the intelligence agencies, uh, I've picked up uh, intelligence agency training. Uh, it's things like uh, critical thinking, which amounts to, don't just read the Washington Post and the New York Times, also read To Get balance, The Nation, The Progressive, and brother right. Jones. <laughs> yeah. And, and I've seen when they've been recruiting for the intelligence agencies from groups like Unity, Journalists of Color, which is a far-left group. Yeah. Uh, any, any thoughts on how the intelligence agencies
0: have been taking in people who don't know the things that you've been talking It's That's part about? of the problem. And by the way, that's the complete opposite of good intelligence work. You should read everything. I mean, the reason that I know all this stuff, I mean, I'm a conservative. Why would I be reading Communist Manifesto and so forth? Well, because I, I, I want to know what they actually believe. So every week, I check People's World and Communist Party USA probably two to three times a week. I don't do it every day because the content doesn't change that much for those. But, I mean, when I get up in the morning, I read probably 10 to 20 different publications, everything from Fox to the Washington Post to the Drudge Report, Right. Breitbart to the New Republic. You you have to read it all. And that would be my advice to any student anywhere: is read all of that stuff. When when I when I was an under an undergrad, see you didn't mention where one of our kids got. Uh, but we didn't we didn't read any of the primary sources. We didn't read any of this stuff. Of course, I've got students who could tell you that you know they've been through law school without reading the Constitution. So oh yeah 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 oh that happened. absolutely does so uh, yeah that would be good that's a good form of advice that I should give more often to younger people as well just read everything read all sides all right I think I have to stop thank you